you get groups of guys that oh, you see how hard this guy shoots. I'm the old guy on the porch who <laughs> says that's nothing. You should have seen Greg Tarbell. He's still to this day, and I, I'll swear to it to anyone, and I don't care who's out there and who in the MLL and what kind of equipment they're using now. Greg Tarbell shot the ball harder than any human being I've ever seen in my life, and to this day still. Welcome to the Fred Opie Show, where you learn how to make a difference on and off the field. I'm your host, Fred Opie, a former Syracuse University and U.S. national team athlete turned historian. I use the oral histories of my guests to unpack strategies to make a positive impact in this world. Today's show is about the life and legacy of Syracuse University lacrosse alumni, Greg Tarbell, who passed I wanted to turn this show into not just a look at his lacrosse journey, but also Native Americans in field lacrosse, box lacrosse, and in the sport that owes all of its heritage to their culture. We're going to begin our conversation today with where Greg grew up, which is in Onondaga County, and his experience as a high school student athlete at Lafayette High School. And we hear from his high school teammate, Jim Booth. Was Greg's father a lacrosse player as well? The whole nation, everybody basically played. It's their game, as we know. They are all box players. You know, the field game wasn't like it is today. On the reservations, reservations played reservations. The good old box leagues would turn into, uh, a lot of times, turns like bloodbath. What was the ethnic makeup of Lafayette High School? It was a third native. The rest is just made up of uh, white farmers and middle-class people. We had one uh, African-American girl that uh, the year ahead of us. Everybody got along. I mean, you, you always have a little wrinkle in there once in a while. I mean, but there was no racial tension, you know, between the Indians and, and the and, and the whites. We all played sports together. That was the, that's what kept us close, you know. Greg was a year behind me. He's also my tailback in football. Uh, he was a great football player, uh, and we also played high school basketball together, and then, of course, lacrosse. Were you yeah. the quarterback for the football team? Yes. Tell me a little bit about Greg as a as a high school athlete. There was nothing that, 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 he, that he couldn't do athletically. He was a tailback. 77 was my senior year. He was a junior. He was a back running at 210 pounds and 20. He could just flat-out fly. He's probably one of the fastest, if not the fastest kid on the team. He, he could sidestep or he put the shoulder down and, you know, he, he was like a wrecking ball. Standout all-county selection as a junior. He played both ways. He played uh, defensive back also. We had an undefeated football team. Did he get recruited by any big-time football programs? Penn State and, and a few other powerhouse programs. What happened was his senior year, he broke his ankle. He actually missed the whole his whole senior year. He came back at the end, wasn't fully healed. That cut the recruiting effort a little short there. I wouldn't call him a the standout basketball player, but he was very good. Did he have siblings that played sports? He's the third of four. He had an older brother, Bob, who was a tremendous basketball player, and he also played lacrosse. And Bobby was uh, probably standing about 6'4", 6'5". He was a great athlete. And then, uh, you know, Freddie mixed up and wrestled a little bit, but and Wanda was a good athlete. She was the youngest uh, of the siblings. Softball and volleyball, Wanda was a, was a standout athlete also. But Greg was definitely a, uh, a great above all of it. 
Jim and Greg have a long history that goes not only to Lafayette High School, but also to Coleskill Community College, a junior college in upstate New York, where Jim both played and Greg. What was it like uh, to play at Coleskill? Was there a pipeline of Lafayette players going there? Rick Cormick was a goalie at Coleskill, and Jack Matillier was a defenseman, and they were there a couple of years ahead of us. Coleskill was, was a good program. You know, a bunch of us went up there for a recruiting trip, and I ended up going there, and then uh, we had another a great player went on to Cornell with Mike Cooney. Cornell West, he went to school, but he's from Cornell, New York. They had a good group of guys that all came together at one time with Stan Nevins, who was, a, who was a, just a great communicator and a, and a great coach, a great individual. We never lost a regional game. Lucas and all a bunch of guys from Lafayette were on the teams. And then afterwards, the Papas came, and, oh, Arnie Amidon, who was a heck of a defenseman, you know, everybody went to Cobble Skill. You know, it was like a pipeline. I don't think a lot of our listeners understand the significance of Juco lacrosse back then. Can you give the listeners a sense of the type of lacrosse you and, and Greg were playing at Cobleskill? I was just on the phone the other night with Richie Moran, Coach Moran, the legendary coach from Cornell. And we were talking, same subject, about the Juco uh, lacrosse back in the, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. And there was nothing like it. Every kid that came out of there and made the All-American team, as you know, like you or yourself, they went on Division One ball. Norm Engelke, who was an All-American was a superstar at Cornell All-American. Played on the world team. Craig Jager played on the world team. Cornell, Nassau. Dougie Hall, another first-teamer from Nassau, went on to become an All-American first-team at North Carolina and won the championship back-to-back in 80, 81 and 82. But you didn't have back then the money that these schools have today. So the kids that were on the fence, either financially or academically, Junior college was the way to go. Brooks Sweet, mm-hmm. there's another guy who went to UMass, who went to Farmingdale, uh, an Ithaca boy, an All-American on the world team. After their time at Skill, they then transferred over to Syracuse University where they continued a lacrosse career. John Desco is the head lacrosse coach at Syracuse University. He played his collegiate lacrosse at Syracuse and then went on to coach under Hall of Famer Roy Simmons, Jr., I finished in 79 and I coached Greg. He had had such good success at Cobleskill. I'd gone to see him play. Jim Booth. You go to Syracuse and then did you recruit Greg to come to Syracuse? He was one of John Desco's first recruits. Financially at that time, they were a little strapped. So I came, I came back home, I ended up choosing the Orange. Don't forget the dome was being built and we had a great flux of people. I, I can't say I'd made the decision for Greg. Greg made his own mind up, but I'm sure that, you know, he wanted to come back. You know, a bunch of us were going to Syracuse that time. Art Lux was coming in from West Point. Uh, Mark Wenham and Jeff McKee came in from the Naval Academy. And Syracuse was just starting to take off. I think that all played a big role in great decision to, to come to Syracuse. There was a host of schools that were after him. You know, they're all there courting him when he was coming out of Cobleskill. But, uh, yeah, I think I played a role in... Uh, a great decision, and I'm, you know, I'm glad he, I'm glad he came on board. Tell people about uh, Syracuse across what you remember from Greg's two years. Set the stage for the building of a dynasty. What is your thought on that? There, there's no doubt that that was the platform. This is not a knock on the on the 70 teams of Syracuse or before, but you know, Coach Simmons, 
uh, was strapped for money, strapped to get real talent, and then it all exploded uh, in the early 80s. You know, we had freshman Mark Burnham coming in from the state championship at Henniger, the first one off state. We had a good flux of guys, Randy Lungblatt from West Tennessee, who was a two-time All-American. We just had a bunch of guys that all stayed home. Instead of going down south or other places, we all stayed home. You know, beside Ralph Spinola, who was a great kid from the island. But it was primarily an upstate team, and there's no knock on, on anybody else where they play, but it was all the kids from something New York stayed home that's how it all started what's the difference in in class and age between greg and travis solomon who goes on to play for that first national championship team he's another cobalt school guy coming from lafayette as well travis and greg are actually in the same class great goalie as you know a tremendous player tremendous in high school yeah they were the same class 78 travis took a year off 82 to finish up his engineering degree from Syracuse, and then he came, he finished up in 83, of course, and then won the first national championship. That's what happened there. Mark Burnham is from Syracuse, New York. He went to Hinegar High School, where he won a New York State lacrosse championship before going on and playing collegiate lacrosse at Syracuse University, where he was a teammate of Greg Tarbell and a roommate. Mark is the assistant lacrosse coach at IMG Academy in Florida. Mark Burnham. Greg was born in 60, I was born in 61, so he was August 3rd, I was August 31st. actually met him at the uh, state fairgrounds. It was all the SU recruits that year, myself, and, they, and those Jimmy and Greg being transfers from Cobleskill. They all put us on a box team, and Simmons had us out there. Ended up playing at the uh, state fairgrounds. It kind of an exhibition game with uh, all the recruits coming in and uh, some past and present players. Guy Van Arsdale played collegiate lacrosse at Hobart College under Hall of Famer Dave Yurek. He was an All-American goalie and won several national championships. Guy Van Arsdale. If you look at that era closely, I mean, that's the that's the setup era for Cuse's run, right? I mean, that was, 83 was the first national championship, but it was, I think, a lot of the work that those guys did in the early 80s is when I think... I think you've got to say that the late 70s, early 80s is when Syracuse lacrosse really began to emerge in terms of being a national power, a national championship power. And I think Greg was one of the guys who helped feed that. We say that's a pretty important time for Syracuse lacrosse, for anybody who's familiar with it. The show will be right back. If you like what you hear on the show, share a link on Facebook or Twitter or send the link to a friend. If you have a question you want us to address on the show, write me at fdopie at gmail.com. You can find our show archive, blog, suggested reading, and more at fredopie.com. Now back to the show. What was it like to play against Greg Tarbell? John Desco. Such a dominating force, you know, such a big, strong guy who could move. To this day, I'd probably say if it's not the hardest shot I've ever seen, it's one of the hardest shots I've ever seen. We went down to Penn State where Greg took a shot and the goalie got in front of it with his hand. You know, his right-handed goalie, so as he swung his stick around and hit him in the front of his left hand and broke his hand right through his glove. In those days, gloves were gloves, you know. It wasn't yeah. like today where they weighed two ounces and the lighter the better. He, he had power. Very creative, you know, he'd, he'd get up above goal line extended and he'd throw up behind his back or, or, you know, around his back or between his legs. So for that time, you know, you, you, you see it today every now and then, but uh, for that time, it was, you didn't see much of that. You know, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't play him with one person. I kind of pity the defenseman that would match up again. <laughs> 
you know, because in those days too, you'd take a shot. Sometimes you'd take a shot on purpose to come across the defenseman's rotor head, and so the next time you shot, he'd duck, and then you could yeah. duck it and dip under him and go around. <laughs> so interesting times. Guy Ben Arsdale. You get groups of guys that oh, you see how hard this guy shoots. I'm the old guy on the porch who <laughs> says that's nothing. You should have seen Greg Tarbell. He's still to this day, and I, I'll swear to it to anyone, and I don't care who's out there and who in the MLL or what kind of equipment they're using now, Greg Carbell shot the ball harder than any human being I've ever seen in my life, and to this day still. You would get lost if you just got stuck on the fact that he was a, a guy who could, who could bring it from range, right? But he also was a great passer. He was tough on the ground. He was a tough guy. That silent assassin. I mean, he barely smiled. you. There was really no... No emotional affect. He didn't didn't have a whole lot to say, which became more intimidating. You know, for for me as a goalie, you pride yourself in not ever being everybody shoots. I don't care. Bring it. You know, and he's the one guy you hope doesn't bring it. <laughs> you know? and, and I, I think I think that he's the only one I think that I ever played against. I thought, oh God, just hit the goal and not me. Just, he was just a guy who came out, played hard all the time, and just. You knew that you had to account for where he was. The two stories I tell were, were that we were playing for the, I think it was the very first practice I ever went to for the Key Bank Lacrosse Club at Coin Field. We had both graduated, and I remember going on the field being so relieved that I finally had Greg Tarbell on my team, and, and I, didn't, I didn't have to worry about it. Then I found out we were doing man up and man down in practice. <laughs> so, so, I, so not only was I playing against him, but there was nobody covering him. I recall him at about 16 yards dropping his stick to his hip or his ankles and shooting a riser and the ball hitting just under the top bar. And back then it was those old iron AstroTurf goals that were, were heavy. Well, when that shot hit the goal, the goal actually lifted off the ground, you know, a quarter inch, an eighth of an inch, but visibly and, and audibly. So it went boom. I'm like, no. <laughs> it was that's how that was the velocity he created. It was unbelievable. And then the other story I had was 1982 Boswell Field at Ben Hobart. We're playing Syracuse. Greg catches the ball top center and he drops the head of his stick again to his knees and just lets it ride. And it's about you know mid thigh high. And I step over, exposing the inner right thigh, Ooh. miss it with my stick, it hits me in the thigh, and my whole leg just goes dead. <laughs> I, I, basically, I basically drop to a knee, kind of pick up the ball, flip it to, I think, Kevin Martin or John Seifer, who, who clear the ball to the other end, and I can't walk. It's like my whole leg is, is just dead. So, so I, remember, I remember Dave looking over, he calls a timeout, and we go over and they like put ice on right away and do this whole. I, that's never happened. I mean, I used to get it. It didn't matter, you know. So the next day, my leg was black from my knee to my hip joint, wow. you know, all the way around the leg for about like a two-inch stripe of pale white skin, and the rest of it was just black. And I'd never ever bruised like that in my life. That's an indelible mark. Greg <laughs> 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 Tarbell. He was a generous player. You know, he didn't he didn't have to have his. He didn't shoot it every time he got it. I remember teammates encouraging him, take the shot, take the shot. As Dave Yurick would have said, he was instant offense. Who had the job of covering Greg? That was by committee. 
you can't give him space to catch and shoot. It's like everyone had their man, and everybody had to had to keep. You had one eye on your guy and one eye on Carbell. because you needed a guy to match up against him. You needed someone who could match his physical physical stature and physical you know strength. You couldn't be a guy who was just you know had a stick in his hands. That wasn't enough. You had to you know. And back back then, you could be physical. <laughs> you know, you could you could rough people up, and it, it didn't affect him a whole lot. And and I think that. That was always the strategy. He needed at least one in his face and then the second ready to go. Timmy at that point, Timmy Clark, probably as close as we had to physically as imposing as Greg. You know, Timmy was a, uh, a great football player. and just He's a strong athlete, but a really good defender. And, you know, those two guys would butt chess and it's like, you know, there was thunder. It was unbelievable. Fun to watch, you know. It probably would have been more fun to watch from the stands than from in the goal, though. Tim Clark played high school lacrosse with Mark Burnham at Henniger High School before going on and playing collegiate lacrosse at Hobart with Guy Van Arsdale. He talks about the experience of being called into the coach's office by Dave York and being told, as a freshman, you're going to be covering Greg Tarbell. Tim Clark. I was a freshman and had um, made the team, and uh, you know I didn't expect to play that much that year. As a matter of fact, uh, they had put me on like a defensive midfield line, and I was running up and down the field, still trying to learn how to pass and catch. But all of a sudden, you know, we're going to play Syracuse, and the day before, Coach York like pulls me in his office, and I'm like, he says, "Hey, um, we've been talking, and we like to have you play against uh, Greg Tarbell at the close position." And I'm like, okay, um, who is he? <laughs> I didn't know who he was. <laughs> you know, I'd only been playing lacrosse one year before that. So, uh, you know, obviously Syracuse, yes, big time. You know, I knew them, but I didn't know the individual players at that time much at all. They told me, so, yeah, you know, he's unbelievable player, All-American. He's very physical, you know, has a great shot. You know, they just walk it down. Me being who I was, as far as where I was in lacrosse, I was like, sure, coach, whatever you think is best. You know, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever I got to do for the team. I get out there, and Greg, I mean, he's huge. So it becomes just a battle between us. The way Coach AC had taught me, body position was everything. Just don't let him get around you. So I just bodied him up every time he came around that wing. And when he got ready to shoot, I just clamped down on a stick. So I did this the first couple of times. I'll never forget, Tarbo looked at me and he's like, who the heck are you? He was quiet to me. He didn't say much to me at all. He also let me know who he was. I'll never forget this. I stepped up to play him and he just let the shot go. He just, And that ball just whisked right by my ear. And I'm like, oh, okay. But he got my respect right away. It ended up just being a battle of two big physical guys, and we just had fun out there. I'll never forget the end of the game. You know, we talked a little bit, and, you know, he respected me. You know, I was a freshman, but at the same time, I respect, earned respect of and earned knowing who he was and what he brought to the game of lacrosse. That was my introduction. <laughs> you know, that was my first start. Unbelievable player. I mean, I was very impressed. Yeah, it helped kind of put me on the on the the landscape of lacrosse as far as you know what i brought with my skill set that i had but at the same time um yeah i mean i was very impressed with him jeff goldberg played collegiate lacrosse at nc state in north carolina before that university dropped his program 
he talks about playing against Greg Tarbell. Syracuse played NC State my freshman year. Down at NC State at Lynn Field, they won by a goal. We beat UNC that year. We were one of the best college teams in the country that year. Syracuse upset. And how do you remember Tarbell in that game? Big presence. I mean, he was amazing. I know Syracuse's run started when Brad Cox and all those guys started, but Tarbell was one of the best players around before Syracuse even got in the national spotlight. The show will be right back. Start with your gift. Understand and monetize it while serving others with it. This book is written for the younger version of me. In Start With Your Gift, I help you recognize your gift, select mentors, choose the right school and training, consider childhood wounds in need of healing, identify internships, show you how to select jobs, get your financial house in order, live and give like no one else. And it's available on Amazon.com as an ebook or paperback. Now back to the show. He played in the North-South All-Star game in 1982, and he was the MVP of that game. But what did Greg do after his collegiate lacrosse career was over? Mark Burnham. We played against each other after college up in uh, Aquacrossi, and uh, he played on one of the opposing teams. Jim Booth. Played a lot of box up in Canada. We played up in Aquasasti for St. Regis for years. We played more box across than we did field. Something a lot of these kids from upstate do, especially the Native American. Pro League was just picking up then. Jeff Goldberg. The Pro Indoor League did this thing called uh, USA Canada Super Series of Box Across. And I think it was 85 and 86. Baltimore guys, Long Island guys, just mixture of guys playing for Team USA. Uh-huh. Ian Marcon and John Tucker played in all the games in the two years. In and out were some of the best guys ever. Guys like Tarbell, Burnham, uh, Brendan Schneck, uh, Urso. And Tar came in and played with us for a weekend when we played in the War Memorial at Syracuse. And then the next day we played in Troy, New York. He was a big dude. He would hurt people. Not only with his 100-mile-an-hour shot, but if he deed you up, that cross-check's coming right at your jaw. I mean, he was an intense kid. He was having to be my roommate. Thanks, he was my roommate as well on the road. Tar was just this mellow, unassuming guy. Just a fun guy. He wasn't the intense freak that he showed out on the field. And it had a bit of a following in box lacrosse. Lacrosse wasn't the game it is now. I mean, to be the best player in the country and maybe one of the best players in the world. Some of the boys that have gotten the attention that the game draws now, maybe back then, nobody really knew. It wasn't The sport wasn't as popular. Jim Booth. I remember sitting at Sky Top Apartment with Mark and Greg and I were all roommates together and saying one day they're going to have a pro league, but it's going to be too bad because we'll be, we'll be three old guys sitting on a sofa, you know, watching it one day when we could be playing. But now it's, it's taken off of the great games. We know the boxing and the field, and, and it continues to grow. It was just a little too early for us, you know. I'm sad to say that, but it's true. So what is the legacy of Greg Tarbell? Was it just about a guy who could shoot the ball hard? Mark Burnham. Coming out of off that reservation, I can tell you this. If you ask any goalie or defenseman that stood in front of that shot, we called him Moses because when he shot, he parted the feet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Jim Booth. I don't think anybody can still beat the guy. A great shooter, just a great talent. I mean, he can 
go both ways easy enough, and he was just fluid on his feet, and, and of course fluid would stick, and you know, he could play any position. So a lot of guys can't do that either. John Desco. You know, I remember I played uh, with a waterman and Mary Paulus, and there was a, a right before me, I know there was a Bucktooth, Mike Cornelius. There's been a steady line of uh, Native Americans coming to play at Syracuse. But that's always been a struggle with uh, trying to maintain the culture and get educated. That's always been a challenge. Of course, now some of the guys are going on to prep schools like the Hill School, where there's been a fair amount of Native Americans going there. Of course, that's you're seeing a little bit more, instead of the Onondagans, you're seeing more of the Six Nation guys and, and from different areas. I know in Lafayette, something happened with the coaching staff down there years ago, and a lot of the Native kids that would you know live close to Lafayette would go to Corcoran. And uh, we actually had a great one a few years ago, played a lot like Greg, actually. Names was James Cathers, and he's a stud. He played at Corcoran, and a lot like Greg. This guy was probably 6'2", probably 220, shot it, the crap out of it, played everything, faced off. As he came and... And family was very involved. Father was very involved. He never finished up with you guys. Oh, never even started. Do you find, John, that the tradition of so many Native kids coming, Syracuse has become a destination? Has that been the case over your recruiting? Or the competition for them has increased by all those schools? I think it's increased by quite a bit. Uh, the guy who just graduated from Virginia, he wasn't an Onondaga. We were very surprised to see him go to Virginia. You know, Virginia is more preppier than we are. And to go that far away... I think one of the reasons that we've been had such success with the guys is that, you know, especially if they're on dockets, it's close. You know, even the Six Nation guys, uh, Cody Jamison, Sid Hill, they would pack up after a game, hop in the car, and go home and come back Sunday night or Monday morning to go to class. And we're here, you know, down the res, you're only 15 minutes away. So the guys could get home. You know, obviously the families were, they'd be you know, at the tailgate after the games. And so I think one of the big reasons we've had so many is the closeness mm-hmm. and get back to their, their families. Guy Ben Arsdale. Certainly was a, a pioneer, um, you know, from where he came from for, for his path to Syracuse and how he, he worked hard to get there through different ways. And then, and then what he accomplished once there Certainly there were Native Americans before him that had gone to Syracuse, but it kind of like opened up a whole other era, I believe, for Syracuse in a way to um, create a pathway for those people who were right there in, in you know, the SU backyard to be able to, to come and be a part of that. And, and I think, and then display that you can excel on a national level in that way. There were others before him, but I think he picked up that mantle at an era when there well, weren't as many. And then, you know, I know that the, the Travis Solomons came along and you know, all, on and on and on. It's an important legacy for a guy like that. In, in the lore of, of our game, I always talk about the Baltimore bias in the lore of our game. They just seem to have more people write about the history. So everything we know about the history of lacrosse all happened in Baltimore. Well, you know, meanwhile, there were national championships being won in upstate New York. I think a guy like Greg Tarbell probably deserves more attention in terms of the quality of player he was and, and that special ability he had. If I had the honor to actually interview him, I would have asked the question, tell me why did you choose to go to Syracuse University? Was it to play for a Hall of Famer 
Roy Simmons Jr.? Was there something that you saw in him that attracted to you? Was it the fact that you came from the Onondaga Nation and your people and your family were so important that you wanted to spend more time with them? And if you went to Syracuse, you'd be closer to home and to your culture and your people. What was your major at Syracuse? And why did you choose that major? Was there something that you were preparing to do to make a positive impact? Did you finish your degree? But it's been a real challenge, Greg. I know for your people as Native Americans and my people of African Americans to go to schools that are in mainstream society and maintain your integrity as a person from a different culture and at the same time excel in school. If you could have a superpower, which one would you want? And which one would have the greatest impact on things in life that you want to see improved? If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Would it be Orrin Lyons, Greg, who came from your same community and excelled at Syracuse University as an All-American goaltender playing on an undefeated team alongside of Jim Brown? dinner with Roy Simmons Sr., who welcomed so many of your people to come and compete and play the creator's game at Syracuse University, that if you found out from a member of the healthcare profession that you had an ailment that would not allow you to live anymore, what three principles would you share? What would we see on your video? What would you say to us? in order to live a life that would have a great impact, that would leave a positive legacy. What would you say, Greg? Thank you for playing the creator's game with a great deal of fun, a great deal of competitive spirit. I want to thank you for what I understand you to be, which was a great teammate. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. This show could have been brought to you by your company. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com. Start with a gift. Learn how to understand your gift, monetize it, and serve others with it. I wrote it for the younger version of me, who I describe as having sports on the brain and lots of pain. It'll be available online at fredopi.com.